Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer tonight. We want to thank you for your goodness and your love to us. And that we can assemble together around your word. We ask you to show us things from it. Teach us, encourage us in our service for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Let me take your Bibles and let's turn to the book of 2 Corinthians tonight. 2 Corinthians 4. And uh, as there is just uh, many things happening right now, we're not in an actual series as we uh, most often are on Thursday nights, but we are going to just pick some very various passages uh, of Scripture and uh, kind of go through them. And, and uh, one phrase that uh, uh, has arrested uh, my attention, and I'd like to make it the title of our message, is found in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's read it for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, what I'd like to preach about tonight, if I can, is I'd like to just take that little phrase there and and follow through this passage and see if we can find, because it is an interesting uh, a phrase, and uh, every once in a while you'll hear someone, or as you're walking through the checkout at the supermarket, you'll see the face of Jesus in the clouds. The world is ending, and uh, all these different things. But and you can't go into any uh, art store. In fact, even at uh, the Union Baptist Church, they've got this little painting in the. Uh, uh, alcove there of Jesus coming back, and it's very detailed and very traditional. Uh, the only problem is nobody knows what Jesus looked like. And yet you go in every art store and Jesus' face is here, there, and uh, pasted all over things. And it's often stunning to me how European. Jesus appears, and how effeminate Jesus appears, and uh, uh, long hair and all of that. And, you know, I always tell the young ladies, nothing to do with the sermon tonight, but if he's got better hair than you do, girls, watch out. Uh, There's just something wrong with that scenario. Uh, and, and, And so I... Get a, you know, we get a little perturbed sometimes, I do, when, when people represent Jesus in certain ways. But right here it tells us that God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. And in our Sunday school time, we've been going through creation and how that the first thing that God did when He created, He said, let there be light. And there was light. And He separated the light from the darkness and And uh, I I am so glad that every time you come into a darkened room and turn on the light, the darkness goes away. Uh, It's, uh, have you ever thought about what it would be like if that didn't always work that way? That'd be a little scary, wouldn't it? In, In fact, I think they do try to do those things in horror movies, but you cannot, you cannot put out the light. The light puts out the darkness. And 
as we look here, it says that we are, that God has shined in our hearts the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And we say, well, where is it? I would, if we were to ask, if we could see what Jesus really looked like, every one of us would say, yes, yes, I want to see. In fact, you, you get some very incredible descriptions in the book of Revelation, in the book of Daniel, of what Jesus really looks like. And it's a fearful thing. Daniel fell on his face and, and there was no breath in him. And he said, I don't have any strength to behold the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet here it says that the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. If we want to see Christ work, if you want to see what Jesus really looks like, and that'll be the last time I talk to you, Philip. That's my son. If you want to really see what Jesus looks like, let's see what Paul was saying here. It says, in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7 is now explaining this. It says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, everywhere that Jesus reveals himself, as he did to Daniel, as he did to John in the book of Revelation, that is the first thing that we understand about Jesus is he has power. He told the disciples just before he ascended, Matthew 28, he said, All power is given unto me, both in heaven and in earth. And that begs the question is, if all power actually belongs to Jesus, why does it look so bad? It's simply because his ways are not our ways. He has a different way of showing His power and, and His excellency. And if I were to ask tonight, would you like to have the excellency of the power of Jesus Christ demonstrated in your life? How many people would say, well, yes, that, that's me. I, I want that. Uh, the Bible says that that is the face of Christ. That is how we show the world who Jesus is and what He is about. Now, many years ago, I believe it was 1947, had a little uh, Arab boy wandering some of the uh, hill country there, herding some goats around the Dead Sea. And he threw a rock in a cave, as the, story, as the story goes, and that rock hit a pottery vessel, an earthen vessel, and broke. And, and the sound was very different than what he was expecting, the rock bouncing off of rocks. And, and so he goes up there and goes into this cave, and he sees rows of earthen vessels, uh, over 200 of them. 
And he examines some of them and he finds that they're filled with pieces of leather. And the story goes, though it's not documented in the encyclopedia, that this little goat herd, this little boy, took this piece of leather into the local uh, shoe place and said, can you make me a pair of shoes out of this? And, and the uh, man who was working there, he didn't know what it was, but he knew that it was a whole lot better than shoe leather, and so he made him a quick pair of shoes out of whatever he had in the shop, and then he went and tried to sell that to uh, uh, an antique dealer in town, and the antique dealer immediately recognized that this was something much more precious, and what it was was the Dead Sea Scrolls. The arguably the most valuable artifact owned by the state of Israel is the Dead Sea Scrolls. They've built a special museum there, Uh, For these things, he found a treasure in an earthen vessel. And you know what? There were some people that wanted to examine the pottery. But was that where the value was? No, the value was the scrolls inside. In fact, the Dead Sea Scrolls have given us the oldest copy of the book of Isaiah. Most conservative scholars, people who believe the Bible, believe that it was a copy uh, only removed maybe possibly one or two generations from the scroll that Isaiah himself wrote under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's how close it is to the original time. And by the way, it backs up this little book right here in English. The text is almost identical with very few, very, very few exceptions. And so, as it talks about, okay, God made light. He shined that light in our hearts. It's the glory of God. The glory of God dwells in us in the face of Jesus Christ. And this treasure is in an earthen vessel. Don't get excited about the vessel. Get excited about the treasure. Amen? But it almost seems that Paul, the author of the book of Corinthians, now departs completely from this idea. And I want to challenge you that he's not. You see, the reason why... We may not be as excited about the face of Christ after we finish the study tonight is because there's some things connected to seeing the glory of God, to seeing the face of Christ, to learn about how Jesus works and who He is doesn't always mean it's going to be pleasant for us. Let's read on, starting in verse 8. For we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our body. 
For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. So here we have Paul explaining in this passage what the face of Christ is. You see, the face of Christ is the glory of God that has shined into our hearts and we are to take that glory that God has given us to the world in which we live. But how is the world going to see that? Well, number one, when we are troubled on every side, we're not supposed to be distressed. How many of you would say, Pastor, I think I can identify with what it really means to be troubled on every side. Well, come over and work with us a couple of days at Union. You'll get a pretty good idea. No, uh... That's actually only one side, amen? But to be troubled on every side. I, I stop and, and think, I, I love history, I love to study it, and, and the best way to, to study history is to read about the lives of people who lived it. Read the life stories. And there's an interesting story they tell about George Washington. And and this was long before he ever thought about being president of the United States. Because there was no United States uh, when this story happened. Uh, George Washington was a colonel in the Virginia militia. This is what we call the French and Indian War. And he was to lead and to uh, be a guide to General Braddock. And they went up towards what is present-day Pittsburgh to fight uh, with the Indians and their, uh, uh, the French and their Indian allies for the control of that uh, part of the territory. It was a resounding defeat for Washington. General Braddock was killed. Almost every officer was uh, was killed. It was a it was a terrible, terrible debacle. And on the way home, near Washington, Pennsylvania, we had the privilege of just visiting up there uh, several years ago, and we went to the place that was called Fort Necessity. Now, the reason it was called Fort Necessity was because they were in danger. They were completely surrounded. By the French and Indians. And we don't know who picked the place of this fort. Uh, it's believed that George Washington did and made an extremely poor choice because he was out in the middle of a field. They built this fort. And all the high ground was around them on 360 degrees. And the forest line was just far enough away that the enemy could hide. But the guys in the fort, to try to see the enemy, would have to lift themselves up 
and they would be massacred. And so they were stuck. Now, could I challenge you, that is troubled on every side. There, there was no escape. They could not move. They could do nothing but lay in the rain and in the ditch and hope that something would happen. Well, what the French did, as General Washington refused to surrender, the Indians began to leave. If there's no fight, no blood, they're going home. And finally, the French general said, listen, we'll let you all go home if you'll just sign this paper. And they said, well, what does the paper say? Well, it was all written in French and basically accused General Washington of taking a small band out and attacking the defenseless French and Indians as they were in camp and accused the General Washington of cowardice and several other things when nothing could be further from the truth. But being that no one in his army read French, they had no idea what it said. And they didn't tell them, they were a little less than honest on what the paper said because they wanted him to sign it and they just wanted to let them go. And that's what happened. That's troubled on every side. Even the answer was more trouble. Because later on, the French would bring up this letter and say, you admitted to cowardice and and attacking defenseless people and murder on the battlefield and war crimes. And, of course, the astounded George Washington said, "I, I, I had no idea what the paper said. How was I supposed to read it by the light of a candle in a rainy ditch with the French troops 360 degrees around us And yet today, how many of you have ever heard that story before? Well, some of my kids did because they were with me when we visited there. You see, the character of George Washington and what he did with his life answered the lies of the enemy now, didn't it? You see, he was troubled on every side. But he refused to be distressed. Here's the definition of the word distressed. The action or fact of straining or pressuring tightly, strain, stress, pressure, pressure employed to produce action, constraint, Compulsion. How many of you have ever felt pressure to do something wrong? You felt like every which way you turned, you were going to do something wrong. You were going to sin against God. That's where the devil loves to put you. And what often do we do when we're put in a situation like that? We try to pick the least sinful thing to do. But we still bow to the pressure 
of the world that we live in. If you want to see the face of Christ, you allow the trouble on every side because it's always going to be there. Don't you wish the devil just only would attack from one direction at one time? But that's not the way he works. It's constant. It's coming from every direction. But I never have to be pressured into disobeying God. How many of you are familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13? There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. In fact, let's just turn there and read that together so we don't miss a word there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be attempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. The devil is always, the world is always trying to put pressure on you to force you to do something that is wrong. The face of Christ is allowing all that pressure and still doing right. That's when you see Jesus. And that's when God's glory shines out of the earthen vessel. Now, when we get to the end, we're going to find out how that actually happens, another explanation of it. But let's, let's move on to the second one here. Perplexed, but not in despair. How many of you know what it means to be perplexed? It means to be confused. To be uncertain of which direction to take. How many of you remember your first time to ride the New York City subway system? Perplexed. Amen? Am I going in the right direction? I always, when I give directions to people, they say, well, how do I, how do I get to the church? I'll, I'll say, well, you, if you're going to take the end train, you get off at 30th Avenue, and if the numbers are going up, you're heading in the right direction. So, if you get off the train and it says 30th Street and 29th Street, you're going the wrong way. If it goes 31, 32, 33, hey, we're on 35th. It's, it's, it's fairly simple that way. But how many of you know you were going in the right direction, but you're still a little uncertain that you were going to get there? Now, if you've ever driven in Arkansas, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because it'll say, whatever town, five miles away, but it will seem like 35 miles away. Uh, I don't think they count the curves on the roads in Arkansas. I'm not sure. I, I haven't driven there much, but it, it's never been a real pleasant experience. It's like getting off an exit ramp in the state of New Jersey. Uh, 
you're going to get there eventually, but uh, whoever built the exit ramps had to have stock in the asphalt company, the paving companies. Don't you believe that? Uh, I certainly do. It's just insane, but perplexed, but not in despair. You know what the word despair means? It means to lose hope. What's the bridge between faith and charity? It's hope, isn't it? And you see, no matter where I am in this life, I may be perplexed. I may not have the answers that I need. But I am never without hope. You know, that is probably the greatest punishment that will be endured in hell. One preacher put it this way. He said, there's a sign above the door. Abandon all hope. Because there is no hope. Once you've passed from this life into the next, you, you have no hope of turning things around. But... If you want to see the face of Christ, it is looking at trouble on every side and not allowing it to force you to do things that are against God and Jesus Christ. It is not having the answers that we need. It's being confused, being perplexed. It's, it's okay to admit that's one of the problems in New York City. How many of you have ever asked directions in this place? You will get an answer. Ninety times out of a hundred, it's going to be the wrong answer. Because most people don't know how to get anywhere in New York except where they want to go. And your, your destination isn't on their list. Now, how many have had that happen to them? Some of you aren't being honest. Or maybe you never asked directions, huh? I'm not going to ask how many of you have given wrong directions. But the simple truth is, I never have to give up hope because of Jesus Christ. You know, the world, they often give up hope. What do you think a nervous breakdown is? giving up hope. Suicide. Giving up hope. You see, the world is full of despair. But if you want to see the face of Christ, it's looking at a hopeless situation and knowing that Jesus is still the answer. I had the uh, owner of the brick company Looking around, he was. They just finished the brickwork. In fact, uh, tonight I've got to write him a check for twenty-five thousand dollars to finish the brickwork. That'll be our last payment to them. And uh, we praise the Lord that we're we're moving. And he said, "I just cannot believe everything that's happened at this building since I came here. I just can't believe it." You know what? 
To him, it was a hopeless cause, but he was going to make whatever money he could from us, and he's made quite a bit. But he's starting to see that, hey, this building isn't falling down. And we are getting very close to starting the final process to get back in the building. But pray, because I fell through the floor today already. Uh, again, I was just... It happens. We've got to fix the floor before we get people in on top of it. Amen? Praise the Lord, it's not a very long fall. Uh, but uh, the simple thing is, you could look at that and say, it's hopeless. But if you want to see the face of Christ, it's looking at a hopeless situation and saying, Jesus is bigger than this. Can we say amen to that? Now, this next one, persecuted, but not forsaken. The word persecute means to pursue, to chase, to hunt, to drive. And then in parentheses, it says, with missiles or with attempts to catch, kill, or injure. So, wow. Missiles. I wonder where that came. No, that's something you... Uh, the old English word for missile is anything that you throw. Uh, uh, and so he's not talking about intercontinental ballistic and all that kind of stuff. But um, the idea of being persecuted is being pursued, is being chased, is being hunted. The Bible says that we're going to suffer persecution for the cause of Christ. My little brother had a way of sometimes inviting persecution because he was a little fella. He had scoliosis, and so he did not develop uh, as he should have. He's only five foot three. The doctor said if his spine were straight, he'd be six foot seven. And uh, so when he was in third grade. He was actually about the size of a kindergartner uh, and bright red hair. And so everybody thought that they would pick on Mike. And he would get persecuted. And he learned a neat little trick. He would let them chase them until he found either me or my brother Jim. And then whoever was chasing him all of a sudden lost interest in the pursuit. Are you getting the story? You see, it says here, persecuted, but not forsaken. You might say chased, but never captured. Why? Because when he finally backs you into a corner as a Christian, who are you standing behind? Jesus Christ. Amen. You know what? The devil can chase you. Uh, maybe that's what the book of Proverbs means when it says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous runneth into it and is safe. Amen. What is the world's number one tool. Is it not an intimidation? 
before the invention of the gun. The main method of warfare was who, whose army could scare the other army off the field. Why do you think those old uniforms from the 1600s and before had these huge, high uh, tops on their, on their hats that made them look like they were a foot taller than they normally were? And they would carry these huge swords. Now, I know there were a few guys that could swing those things and actually do slaughter with them. But I'll tell you, most of us could not pick up one of those. They do it in the movies, okay? But in real life, you couldn't swing one of those two-handed swords and do damage to anything but yourself. Unless you were ten foot tall weighed 500 pounds and made Goliath look like a a sissy boy, you you might get something done with one of them great big swords. Let me tell you something. The world has always tried to use intimidation. Here, let me give you an example. I-R-S. How many of you just felt a shiver run up your spine? You don't want to get a phone call that says, Hello, my name is so-and-so, I'm from the IRS, and I want to talk to you. You really don't want that phone call now, do you? And what is their number one tool? It's intimidation. They're trained. I remember one of them called me one time years ago, and I said, I'm sorry. I said, I don't believe you. Oh, he got mad. You don't believe me. I said, yeah, I'm going to speak to your supervisor. Well, we're going to investigate this. I said, be my guest. I said, I've talked to two or three accountants. In fact, I called the IRS before I filled my taxes out that way. Well, we'll see about that. I said, yeah, okay. He called me back and they actually owed me money. Now, I like how that story turned out. I pray that it always worked that way. But I'll tell you what, intimidation, persecution, hunting, chasing, hide behind Jesus. But you know something? If you failed the first test and you got pressured into doing something that Jesus didn't want you to do, it's going to be awful hard to hide behind him when you're getting chased. Amen? You see, we learn about Christ by understanding. It says, let your conversation be without covetous and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's out of the book of Hebrews. All that we could be content with Jesus would solve a lot of problems, wouldn't it? And that last one. It says, cast down, but not destroyed. One preacher put it this way. He said, knocked down, but not knocked out. You can get tripped up. You can get 
put down on the mat if you want to use wrestling. But here's what Proverbs says, verse chapter 24, verse 16, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. I look up the word destroyed, and it said, definition, destruction. So I looked up the word destruction, and it says, The action of demolishing a building or structure of any kind, of pulling to pieces, reducing to fragments, undoing, wasting, rendering useless, putting an end to, or doing away with any material or immaterial demolition. Um. Does that sound like the presidential campaign for the United States of America? I mean, it has certainly gotten out of the realm of just simple debate. We have two candidates that are trying to destroy each other. They want to pull each other into little bits and pieces and and make each other. And what is their main thing? She's unfit. He's unfit. Is it possible that they both might be right? I mean, I I tend to agree with both of them on that point. How about you? But one of them is going to make it. But here's what the Bible says. It says, our adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, what? Seeking whom he may, what? Devour. If you get devoured, does does that qualify for being destroyed? Uh, I think it would work out pretty good. Um, You want to see the face of Jesus Christ? It's when I fall down. But he picks me back up. How many of you have ever been there? How many of you have ever felt that unseen hand just reach out and grab a hold of you and say, I paid for all your sins on the cross and I still want to use you? You think that would qualify for learning a little bit more about who Jesus is? About seeing his power being contained in an earthen vessel? And just so we don't Get off the track here. He says, we have all these things happening to us. We're troubled on every side, but we're not distressed. We've got pressure, but we're not giving in. We're not going to be moved to do things to be, to disobey Christ. We're perplexed. We don't have all the answers. We don't answer all the questions, but I'm not without hope, my friend. I'm hunted. I'm persecuted. But I'm going to hide behind Jesus, and where does the persecutor go? He's not going to attack Jesus. That doesn't work. There are times when I get tripped up, cast down. But they can't destroy me because Jesus has paid the price for every sin that I've ever sinned long before I was ever born. But here's what it says. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. 
that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. I don't know how many times over the years I've said, public enemy number one, it's not the devil. It's the reflection you see in the mirror. If we could understand that Jesus died so that we could be free. If we would bear in our body His death, Paul explains this even further in verse 12, For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. That the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our mortal flesh. Verse 12 sums it up. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Paul really enjoyed all of the persecution and all the suffering in his life? That he really sought after these things? You know, that's part of the problem with this history of martyrdom is there are some people that actually seek that kind of thing. You know why? Because they know that's their only hope for their 15 minutes of fame. Paul did not seek those things. He did not enjoy those things. But he endured those things because what brought an end to Paul allowed Jesus to shine through to the world in which we live. He said, so death worked in me. Uh, Paul put it this way in the book of Philippians. He said, I've suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. You want to know what Jesus looks like? That's what Jesus looks like. That is the face of Christ. That is the glimpse that our world is so desperately longing to see. Do you know why people put pressure on you? Because they want you to be like them. And when you're not, sometimes they get very angry and they start persecuting you and trying to destroy you. But if you're following Jesus... They're only going to see more of Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. If you don't want to see Jesus and you see him, what are you going to try to do? You're going to try to shut out that picture, aren't you? What did Jesus say? Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. He, he said that people would persecute you and, and do all these things against you. You see... If we want to show the world a glimpse of who Jesus is, don't go asking for it. But when trouble comes on every side, you've got to understand something. God wants to use you to give the world a glimpse of Him. 
So it's your death of yourself. It's you giving up. It's you surrendering yourself so that Jesus can come through. That's how the Corinthians got the gospel. That's what Paul meant. He said, death worked in me. I gave up everything that I was, everything I know, my reputation, everything about me. I had to get rid of so I could be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, by me dying to myself and giving up every good thing that I had ever accomplished, you Corinthians heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you're going to heaven with me. That's how death worked in the life of Paul. And if you want the face of Christ to be shown in your life, get ready. It's going to mean trouble. It's going to mean perplexity. Uh, It's going to mean persecution. It's going to mean sometimes you're going to get knocked down. But I'm not going to be pressured into doing something wrong. I'm not going to ever give up hope in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am never forsaken. And He cannot destroy me. Every once in a while, I'll run into somebody and I'll give them a track and they'll go, Go to you know what. And I always just turn around and smile and say, I can't do that. Oh, you want to torque somebody really bad? I can't. I can't go to hell. Because Jesus paid the price. Amen? You see, I want, I want people to see Jesus. Now, I have to be careful because I've got a real smart aleck streak. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not. Uh, if you listen real close, you'll pick up on it once in a while. But I've got to get rid of that so people can see Jesus. Amen? We want, if we were to ask how many of you would like to see the face of Christ, everybody goes, yeah, that'd be cool. Okay, get ready to get distressed. Uh, That's not what I was talking about, preacher. Well, that's where you're going to see it. How about some persecution? How about some getting knocked down? All these things that we don't like. But it's only when I get rid of me that Jesus comes through. And all God's people said. Heavenly Father, we ask that this little study of this passage would give us some encouragement. And give us a different way to understand the bad things that you allow to happen in our lives. That we would take our eyes off ourself and put them on Christ. And Lord, even when we fail, even when we allow ourselves to be tripped up, even when we do not obey you as we should, Lord, we're so thankful that you're there. You are just. You are faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because you've already paid for every sin on the cross. Lord, we pray that we would embrace the end of ourselves that people may see Jesus. In your name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just have the piano continue to play. 
you need to slip out, the altar is open. But take just a few moments and then we'll be dismissed.